Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel, the ark is finally brought to Jerusalem and there is great celebration. But not everything is good, as David and Michael have a domestic argument. We'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 6 verse 13. Once again, that's 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he, David, sacrificed oxen and fatlings, carried the ark, bear it. They carried it with the staves like it was supposed to be done. And it says that he sacrificed, he worshipped. The the idea here of sacrificed oxen and fatlings, these are offerings of confession and surrender. They're offerings of thankfulness and awe. And and that's what worship is. It's about all those things. Now, can it be exciting? Well, yeah, it can be exciting. You know, there's times when you you just are so overwhelmed with the goodness of God or the, the mercy of God or the faithfulness of God or the majesty of God. And yeah, it's exciting. Sometimes, though, it's heart-wrenching. Worship is about confession, surrender, thankfulness, and awe, whether it's exciting or not. Don't put the cart before the ark. I love that David came back with gladness. David's desire to celebrate was awesome. You know, his desire to bring the ark back was wonderful. There's no reason to pout about this. Let's just do it. And let's go back and do it like we were going to do it before, but better. Let's do it the right way this time. So David swallows his pride. He says, let's go back to the beginning. What we wanted was good. We just need to do it God's way this time. David danced before the Lord with all of his might. I've been preparing a demonstration for all of you, so just kidding. The word there means joyous rhythmic whirling motions. The idea is, and he's doing it before the Lord, which means before the ark. So the idea is, is David's kind of like one of those super talented, like drum majors who do a bunch of dancing and stuff, like at the head of the parade where they're just going for it. That's David here. That is David here. He is just going for it. He is twirling around. He's just celebrating and he's doing it unto the Lord. Inevitably, every time I come to this passage in scripture, someone comes to me and go, and that's why you should let us start dancing during church. And which is where I have to remind us that this is not a church service. It's a parade. It's a parade. If you want to have a Christian parade and go dancing in the street, be my guest. Be my guest. You want to have a Christian party and go dancing? Be my guest. 
stay in your seat here. All of his might, nothing held back. There's no pouting from David, no half-heartedness. He is all in. And this is one of the things that made David a man after God's heart. David may have blown it a lot, but when he comes back to the Lord, he always comes all the way back. He always comes all the way back. He totally believes in God's forgiveness, that it is true, and that God can accept him again, and that he can just continue moving forward. I don't know about you, I struggle with that sometimes. I know I hear the the promise of God that I can come back, and yet there's a hesitance to me sometimes. Like, can I really come back? Like, can God really use me right now? Or does he really feel the same way about me? Yes, 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 and yes. And David is a, a great example of that. That David came all the way back means we can come all the way back even when we've gone so very far away. God doesn't put us in time out. He doesn't treat us like second-class citizens. When we repent, it's done. It's forgiven, and we are welcomed back with open arms. Now, it mentions that when David's dancing here, twirling with all of his might, that he was girded with a linen ephod. Now, the linen ephod is the priestly undershirt. It kind of covered your chest, but it, it barely reached the knees. Now, the problem is the priest normally wore a robe over that thing when they did their work, okay? They didn't just go out in their underwear, you know, with a long shirt, you know, and go and do in the service of the Lord. So, but David, he's not a priest. And so he's likely wearing this garment because the priests weren't supposed to minister to the Lord without wearing them underneath. Those garments, the linen garments, the ephod, it represented God's righteousness. Uh, The idea is they're not ministering in their own righteousness. They're covered in the Lord's righteousness. And so, but again, they would wear a robe over it, and so you wouldn't see any of that. But David's out there and just his skivvies kind of, and so he's, he's twirling away. So I'll let you imagine. I won't paint any visuals for you there. So David likely is trying to communicate to the people, listen, I tried to do this in my own righteousness, and Uzzah died. I don't want anyone to think I'm doing it that way anymore. It's almost like David is saying, I want everyone to know I blew it, and and I'm trying to do this with the Lord's help this time. And that's fine. And again, just like we should expect when things are done the right way, God, the endeavor goes by without any incidents. It says, so David, verse 15, and all the house of Israel, they brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trump. However... This now leads to David's second problem in these good times. David didn't just have a failure with the ark. David's had years of failure as a husband. And so look at verse 16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, David's wife, looked through a window. She's watching from high up. The word look there means to look like from a high point down. She's watching David doing his twirling and dancing, saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And it says, she despised him in her heart. The word here, despised, it means to have a very low opinion of someone. Her opinion went even lower than it had been. I can't imagine Michael had a great opinion of David when she returned to a marriage where she now had to share her husband with dozens of other women. But this was the last straw for her. Whatever affection had been there for David died right here. Now, David, of course, he doesn't know she sees this. He doesn't know she's thinking this in her heart. So the celebration goes on, verse 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the middle of the tabernacle that David had constructed for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So now the tabernacle's in Jerusalem, and David is going to have this big, huge 
sacrificial celebration. The peace offerings primarily were basically just to hang out with the Lord. When you wanted to offer a peace offering, it's mostly because you wanted to hang out with the Lord. Sometimes it's because you were thankful for something specific God did. Sometimes you just wanted to tell God you loved him. But a lot of times it's just to hang out. And so when you would offer a peace offering, the, the scriptures instructed them, invite your whole family, make it a big celebration, make it a big dinner. And so that's what they do. They'd have a big, huge celebration right there at the tabernacle after the offering. And so that's what David's doing here. Burnt offerings symbolize surrender. Lord, we are surrendered to you and we just want to hang out with you. And so David invites all the people to do it. And so as they come up and when he's done with all these offerings in verse 18, it says, as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he comes out and he blesses the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And then he dealt among them, all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as to men, to everyone, a cake of bread, a good piece of, of meat and a, a flagon of wine so that all the people departed everyone to his house. I mean, this was a huge celebration. You know, the kings, you know, he's, he's just throwing out food and, and everybody's, everybody's just, he's invited them all to this, this feast to just hang out with the Lord together. Awesome, awesome day. What a wonderful time for everyone in the nation. Here, everyone would sense the idea of what it meant to be God's people and to be a part of something special. Everyone, of course, except Michael. And thus, David, when he comes home to bless his family in the same way, likely to have a feast there, he gets an unexpected response. Verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household, his family, his wife, his kids, his servants. I should say wives. It says that Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, so before he could come to the feast or give any blessing, she confronts him and she says, oh, how glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. The word there, glorious, means, oh, how you've distinguished yourself to raise your status in people's eyes. There's going to be certain folks who are going to see you differently now, David. Now, most commentators believe she was upset because David had exchanged his royal clothing for the clothing of a priest, in her mind, a step down in status. That, In other words, they're saying she had the same mindset that her dad had, Saul, that a king was above a priest. However, the problem with that interpretation is that it doesn't say anything close to that in the text. It doesn't ever tell us that David took off royal garments to put on priestly garments. We don't even know that David ever wore royal garments. Three words make it clear what her problem is. Number one, she accuses him of uncovering himself. The word literally means to expose yourself, to disrobe. It usually has a sexual connotation. Secondly, you did it in the eyes of everybody. Who does it say he did it in the eyes of? The ladies, the handmaids. The handmaids here is actually the word slave girls. And these are often, that word's often used of people who would be prospective concubines. Thirdly, she says, you've made yourself like one of the vain fellows who shamelessly exposes himself physically. The word vain fellows means men of bad character, people who who just are immoral. When David was dancing in an undershirt that barely reached his knees, she didn't see worship. She thought he was auditioning for future ladies, future concubines. Now, Before we get to David's response to that, we do need to address Michael here. First off, 
Is Michael in a bad marriage? Yes. Yes. I mean, any of you ladies want to share your husband with any other women, let alone dozens of them? Has David wronged Michael? Yes. But to take that pain and presume wrong intentions on David's part is also wrong. Two wrongs never make a right. And fighting fire with fire just means everything around you burns. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, probably the most unpopular verse for wives than when I'm trying to share with wives who have husbands who aren't obeying the Lord. It says, if any of you wives have a husband who isn't obeying the Lord. That verse is misquoted so many times. If any of you have a husband who's not a believer, that is not what it says. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it says very clearly, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. That's what it says. In other words, if they're not being obedient to what God says in his word, not if they're not a believer. No, if you have a husband who's doing something or not doing something, is doing something he's not supposed to that God says to not do, or he's not doing something that God says he's supposed to do. Any of those situations, how are you supposed to respond? Be in subjection so that they also may without the word or a word, your speech, be won by the conduct of their wives. While they behold your chaste, godly character, coupled with reverence for the Lord. If you're in a situation where your husband's not doing something he's supposed to, God has a clear command about what your path forward is. So I don't like that path forward. I didn't ask you to like it. But it's what God says. Is that the path of least resistance? Nope. Is it fair? No. But I think we already addressed the problem with trying to go for fairness. Neither was the cross. And doing it some other way, doing it, you know, some way that you come up with that's not that way, it will never lead to godly results. Never. It can't because God can't bless you when you're doing that. Now, like the situation with Uzzah, despite Michael's wrong response, This is ultimately David's fault. He does not set his wife up for success. He's a bad husband. But unlike the situation with the ark where David addresses his failure and goes back to the beginning, starts over, and does it right, David doesn't address his failure here. In fact, he hardens his heart at her unjust accusation, and he retaliates. Verse 21, And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord. David corrects her incorrect assumption. I wasn't trying to do anything improper, Michael. I I did this for the Lord. Now, if David stopped there and he sought to de-escalate the argument, there might have been hope for healing. But instead, David decides he's going to fling some mud at her too. It was before the Lord which chose me before your father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. David completely misses that she's upset about the other women in his life. He assumes that she thinks he's not being as regal as her father was. And so he says, well, you know what, Missy? God picked me over your daddy, so take that. And then 
David doubles down. There's a song that was very popular in the 90s. I'm not sure. It's called Indignified. You might like it. I hate the song. Completely misunderstands. There's nothing to celebrate here in David's words, all right? Nothing David says here is good. David says, therefore, since God picked me over your daddy, I will play before the Lord. I'm going to keep celebrating like this, whether you like it or not, honey. And I will be yet more vile. I'm going to be more despised. I'm going to do more things that you hate me for. And I will be base in my own sight. <laughs> I love David. He, he, he just lays into her and he goes, yeah, because I'm going, to, I'm going to be a humble man. Listen, anytime you have to tell somebody you're being humble, you're not being humble. I'll be humble in my own sight. And guess what? Of those maidservants which you spoke about, of them shall I be had in honor. Ooh, David. Those slave girls you're so worried about, honey, guess what? They're going to think the world of me, that I love God, and that more than makes up for you having a low opinion of me. And then David made good on his threat by never sleeping with her again. Verse 23, therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. Now, it's obviously, it could be possible that Michael refused to interact with David from this point on because of his retaliation. But the language implies that David's the one who cut her off. Now, that is a direct violation of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. And I realize that that wasn't written when David did this, but hear me out. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 through 5. Let the husband render unto the wife due affection. Likewise, also the wife unto the husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body. The husband does. Likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body. But the wife does. Therefore, he says, don't defraud one another. Don't deprive one another sexually. Except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. In other words, the only time you shouldn't have a healthy, regular, intimate relationship as a married couple is if you're fasting and praying. And then he says, come together again, that Satan does not tempt you for your lack of self-control. Now, while those exact words were not written in David's time, the principle is all throughout Scripture. David punished Michael for her unjust critique by using sex and childbearing as a weapon. Sex, kids, childbearing, all that stuff is never to be used as a weapon in marriage. Never. Those wounds are so deep because they're so very intimate. And as a result, they take a very long time to heal. They take a very long time to rebuild trust again. And so what we see here, the principle that God lays out in regards to these types of intimate things is affection. Kindness is always the rule. Kindness is always the rule concerning the intimate relationship between a married couple. If you're trying to figure out how do I handle this situation where I don't like what my spouse did, the first thing you should go is I need to be kind. That should be the first thing. And it's usually the first thing that goes out the window when you have an argument with your spouse, right? Right? This is usually the first thing is we would never ever say the things to our spouse that we would, we, that we, you know, to a stranger, right? We would never, we'd never. 
And yet we just like haul off at the smallest of things. I, uh, a little confession to make here. In the 90s, I was a, a well-known national Madden football player, video game. And so I was constantly practicing and whatever, and we were having some type of a family event after church one Sunday, and I was on there, I was doing a practice game or something, and my wife walked in front of the TV, and I snapped at her. And my sister-in-law, God bless her, looked at me and said, Will, have you said that to anyone at church who walked in front of you? Man, I I shrank to about that high. Something clicked in me, what? Why did I think it was okay to talk to my wife like that? I would never say that. I would never act that way to anybody else. Why did I think it was okay with her? If you're in any type of conflict with your spouse, if you got, you're hurt, you're angry, they've wronged you, whatever, they're not doing something they should do, you're disappointed, all the things that we experience in a marriage, because marriage can be challenging. The first rule is always kindness. Always kindness. Because I don't belong to myself anymore. I don't get to just haul off and do whatever I want with that person, with this body. I don't get to do whatever I want with this mouth or with, or with these hands or, or whatever else. I don't get to hit a wall. I don't get to slam a door. I don't get to stomp off with these feet. I don't get to do any of those things because this thing doesn't belong to me anymore. The first rule is always kindness. How can I say this kindly? How can I act kindly? And it certainly is the rule concerning the intimate relationship between a married couple. There's so much selfishness in the sexual relationship of married couples today. It should never be about that. It should be about kindness, gentleness, tenderness, patience, all the attributes of love. They apply to that part of the relationship as well. Now, in addition to kindness... One of the rules of communication in marriage is that someone has to stop escalating. Me and my wife, we teach this all the time to couples, whether it's in premarital or marriage counseling, either way. And so we know our stuff. And so sometimes I'll look at her and be like, I'm not the one who's de-escalating. It's got to be you this time. I'm always the one who has to own up. I'm always the one who's got to be nice. I'm not doing it this time. You're going to have to be nice to me first. Don't do that either. But the point is still there. Someone has to decide, I'm not going to keep this spiral going downward. I'm putting on the brakes. Do what you want. I'm not going to escalate any further. Someone has to say, no, I am not going to respond to your evil with more evil. I'm going to do my part, whether you're going to do your part or not. That's how marriage has to be. People say, marriage is 50-50. Lie. Nowhere in the scripture do you see marriage is 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. And the consistent theme of scripture is you give 100 no matter what they're giving. You give 100 no matter what they're giving. That's the only way that that healing can take place. So many times when I was at 30% or 50% or 70% and Bev was just following Jesus, walking with the Lord, loving me, you know, doing her part. and, And that's how the Lord got a hold of me. And I would say the same for her. When she was struggling, and, and that's part of what you were there for. If you've never read the book, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller, you, and, and you're thinking about being married, wanting to be married, are married, you need to read that book. Because in the very first chapter, he lays out, why do you get married? And the thing that we need to understand that when we get married, it's for the purpose 
of sanctification. God has brought that person into your life to help make you more like Christ. And that means sometimes they're either going to bring out or point out the areas are not like Christ. Now, if both people keep refusing to obey the Lord, like Michael and David here, well, then your marriage can't grow. But if one person starts doing their part as unto the Lord, the Scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians that it puts the other person in a special place where God can work on them. And isn't that what you want? When we look back at this chapter concerning the ark, David repented of his failure, and he he got things back on track. But concerning David's marriage, he doubled down. And as we're going to study throughout 2 Samuel, David's family is a train wreck, an absolute train wreck. And as a result, David is going to experience problems in his life that God wasn't part of God's plan, problems he never had to encounter. David was a man after God's own heart, but he sowed seeds this day in his marriage, in his family, that made future trouble in the paradise God had given to him. And that shows us that even people who share God's heart can make stubborn mistakes. So the key is, when you blow it, humble yourself. Own your sin, even if someone else isn't responding correctly. And then you'll at least be in the place where God wants you to be moving forward, and He is free to do as He wishes. Amen? This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Say